Welcome to Traveled, where we take a journey to a specific region so you discover what makes this part of the world so unique. Before we get rolling with our guest this week, I wanted to share the love with our traveled sponsor. This podcast is powered by Swing Outdoors, the Wet Fly Swing Podcast, and Yellowstone Teton Territory. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton to connect with the great brands that make up this amazing region of the country. Let's do it. Let's jump in and find out where that road less traveled is going to lead us today. How you doing, Mike? Good. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for uh, putting some time aside today to talk. Uh, we're back to the Stillwater, uh, the Stillwater game. We've got. Um, we're just talking off air. Phil Rowley, um, you know him well. He's been up there fishing with you, fishing some of your Stillwaters. We've got him on doing a webinar series on the podcast as well now. But um, I want to talk everything Stillwater, kind of your shop, the Drift Lodge. Um, but before we get there, take it back to fly fishing really quick. How'd you get into it? What's your first memory? Oh, my first memory is standing next to my dad um, on some smaller lakes in central Utah and watching him fly fish and me with a spinning rod and bubble. And then once he felt that I was old enough and able to start waiting, I was out there with him. And I mean, this started probably at six years old. Right. So from the very beginning, you... Uh... Was this in, were you fishing streams and lakes? Uh, you know, was your dad into both of those things? We were doing both. My dad would let me go out on the streams with him once he felt that I could follow and keep up with him. But, you know, it, it, the standard fishing story is I always got to fish everything second. I had to follow him up. So always <laughs> catching more fish. Right. When did that change with your dad? Did you, did you, uh, when did you start fishing ahead of him? Probably when I was about nine or 10. And I remember a specific day we were on the Strawberry River below the lake. And uh, I happened to catch two just beautiful tanks behind him. And he decided that maybe I had picked up and kind of started knowing what I was doing. He still caught more fish, but I got two huge. Yeah, that's awesome. So you started uh, picking up some fish. What was, so central Utah, what's the nearest town there? And are there a lot of, a lot of lakes out there? Well, I grew up in a little farming community called Spring Land that's located between Price and Helper out in the coal mine fields. It's about 60 miles southeast of Provo. Mm, okay. So Manti Mountains, large stillwater bodies that we fished would be Schofield, Strawberry, uh, Electric Lake. And then smaller ones such as Farron, Joe's Valley, Miller's Flat, Duck, Fort. It, you know, a lot like this area, you could wake up and go somewhere different every day of the week. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So are the lakes, the still water opportunities where you grew up similar to where you are now? Uh, I probably have a few more options up here, but, you know, they're close. They're a little bit closer. Everything there was probably an hour, hour and a half ride. In all directions, where here I get to do it in a half an hour. Wow. So you guys, so as a kid, so six years old, you're out there fishing. Um, what was your dad? What, what did he do for work? My dad was a school teacher, principal and educator. Um, I also spent a lot of time with, he's my great uncle. He's my dad's first uncle, um, who was the sheriff down there, who was very, very avid fly fisherman. And he was always looking for partners and I was the right age that he could come and kidnap me and take me with him. <laughs> oh, nice. So he, he's my, I mean, my dad is the first, but my uncle Abby was my hero. Oh, wow. Yeah. So your uncle was, uh, just as much into fishing, fly fishing, still water, everything. Oh yeah. And I would kill for him to be able to come up here and walk in my fly shop right now. Yeah. He would be, would he be pretty proud walking in there? Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. He was the joker, the antagonist. He, you know, once he retired, he just lived for fishing. Right. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of a little bit of my growing up. My dad had a, a small fly shop, and I remember there was a, a few sheriffs that would come in, uh, you know, and hang out in the fly shop, even during, I think it was on their breaks, you know what I mean? They were big fly fishers, and 
And yeah, I always thought that was cool. You know, it's like everybody, there's all these people that are love fly fishing and they have all these different jobs, you know, sheriff, teacher, like you name it. And we're all in it for the same thing, right? Did you, you know, how did you go from, you know, that young kid, when did you start to know, you know, this was going to be something you wanted to make a, a career out of? Oh, that probably didn't happen until upper 20s, 30. I had, you know, we had created a group of college friends that would make an annual trip up this way, sort of. Um, we'd go over and fish on the beaver head in the big hole, Jefferson. And one day I, <laughs> we were staying at a little campground and one of the lodge owners came down and asked us to go help move a piano. <laughs> we moved the piano, they all left, and I stayed and just about bought the place. <laughs> no kidding. Where was this at? Just outside of Dillon. Oh, Dillon. So you sat down there and you just were like, had this whole place and you're just thinking like, wow, I could actually handle this. Yeah. And we had made friends, I mean, I'd made friends out on the river with, you know, guides in the evening, just talking and fishing through and you know, it's when I decided that, hey, this is something else that I can do. I've got an accounting degree. Hmm. I'm not a desk person and I can't sit at a desk and kind of the light bulb came on. Wow. And that was your first little taste of realizing this might be possible. So the Drift Lodge, was that like the next step? How did you come into that? I'm not sure if that you came into that or if that was already there. The core of the business the main lodge and six of the cabins were here um it was known at that time as the lazy trout the main lodge was a restaurant um i'd been looking nothing looked good i was very very fortunate to meet a great lady that i'm now married to we came up here and our first away date was to come up here and look at this place nice and couldn't swing it at that time with the owners and the way they had it listed, but I just put it in my favorites list. And every once in a while, I go look at the website, and one day it disappeared. And I got, I was involved in real estate at that time, and I got on and found it um, as a bank owned property. And the, my support from my wife is amazing. And she just says, We'll make it work. She says, It's not exactly what you want but we'll turn it into something and uh, wow. we started running the cabins and i decided okay i'm gonna open up my own fly shop just as a hot little hobby shop i opened it's actually in our house probably no more than 150 square feet of area it wasn't very big <laughs> and we just grew and exploded wow and what year was this so when we first moved up here was 2011. I opened up the fly shop in 13. Yeah, 13. So over 10 years now. Yeah. And then um, we built our new shop and building. This is our sixth year. Sixth year in the new place. Yeah. Man. So it sounds like it's going on. You're over 10 years somewhere in there. What's the, now looking back at 10 years, how does it all look from where you are now? Does it Was it the right decision? Oh, yeah. Neither one of us would trade it. Um you know, we haven't had a lot of time to talk, but honestly, this, I went through a health scare five years ago, major one. Yep. And this fly shop saved my life. It allowed me to come down here and get out of my own mind, get the health issues and set them aside temporarily and do something that I enjoyed. Right. It kind of goes back to that thing. I can't remember who I was listening to last that talked about this, but you know, life is too short to do something, you know, do a, um, well, I know who it was. It was Yvonne Chouinard, who I had on the podcast recently, you know, or the founder of Patagonia. And he said that, he said, you know, it's, it's too short to be doing something that you don't love. Yeah. So go find something that you love. And that's right. You know, my wife actually came down here, put clothes signs up on the door. It was, well, I'm just barely over five years from that diagnosis. And, um, Yes, it was winter, and we had recently purchased a house up on Henry's Lake, and I said, no, I'm going to go down and open up. I'll go out on social media, let people know I'm around. I said, it, it's going to give me something to do, whether it's reorganizing, cleaning, 
you know, where we're going. That's great. And now you're kind of there. I mean, you are known as, you know, you're a Stillwater. Would you say you're like a Stillwater-focused fly shop? Is that, or do you kind of cover all sorts of things? We cover all sorts of things. Um, You know, as far as Idaho fishing and stuff, yes, we have our rivers and streams. We have the outlet straight across the highway. Henry's Lake outlet straight across the highway from us. Henry's Fort down the road. Madison just up the road. Yellowstone Park and all the rivers in Yellowstone Park. Now, that is the one place that I do guide on um, the rivers and streams. Oh, okay. So you guide in the park? Yes. Wow, that's awesome. Gosh, so you got you got all... Did you have to get access to that, or did that come when you purchased... Um, I guess it wasn't a shop when you got there, yeah. Yeah, I had to get access to that. Yellowstone Park has a lot of different different rules and guidelines that made it a lot easier to be able to get into the outfitting business. You know, Idaho is tough. Yeah, it is. Permits are few and far between. You have the old guard and they don't want to let anybody in. So I've just kind of worked my in and found my own niche. Now, you know, I want to say I do a lot of close work with Three Rivers Ranch and Lonnie Allen. Uh, She's became a amazing friend and um advocate and it's made living up here and working up here in this industry a joy wow that sounds like a great uh, a great person you know a group uh, to know and i don't i know we've talked about three rivers ranch maybe maybe give us a little snippet on that what the three rivers ranch is this some of the private waters or who are they and what do they do there well she's got a lodge down in warm river idaho right at the confluence of the robinson creek Warm River and the Henry's Fort. Uh, the ranch has been there. Her grandfather started it since early 60s, I'm going to say. Oh, wow. Uh, Lonnie was the first Orvis authorized outfitter. Amazing. So they've got a deep, deep outfitting fishing history in this area. And um, we've just, you meet certain people, you know, and found that she's one of those people that understand that you're better as a whole than fighting the cis, you know? Yeah, that's right. I was just thinking that as you were talking about, um, you know, the, the old guard and stuff. And I mean, I understand it, right? I mean, these, there's businesses, people are holding on to these things, but I was just thinking like, Hey, you know, it is kind of the rising tide kind of raises all, you know, boats sort of thing that idea being that, you know, you help this person and then, you know, they're going to help you sounds like that's kind of what you guys have going with three rivers oh yeah and a lot of the shops and outfitters on the montana side are the same way it's very common to see them come walking in my shop and say hi and i feel very comfortable going down to theirs and sharing information and so yeah it is you know exactly how did you phrase it rising tide yeah the rising tide, I can't remember the quote. I say this enough that I should probably have the exact quote, but it's, uh, yeah, the rising tide lifts all ships, I think. Yeah, you know, and when I first got in, I went over and talked to Kelly Gallup, and he helped me with vendors and suppliers, and so it's such a great community up here. Yeah, it sounds like it. And we were up there, and we're going to be going back up there. That's the cool thing about this conversation here is that, you know, we talked Phil Roy is a good friend of yours and and ours. And, um, you know, we're going to be going back there. I know he spent a ton of time out there. We're putting together, uh, you know, one of our schools clinics. We're not quite sure what it's going to you know look like exactly, but it's going to be us fishing out there and probably with you and Phil and some people. So, yeah. And it's just a cool area. I mean, I think, what is it about that area? Do you think I've asked this before, but what is it that, um, you know, what sticks out? Why is it so unique? I mean, obviously it's got all these great waters, but other than that, what is it? I'm going to say the proximity to Yellowstone, the Clara, all the national parks, Teton. It's just, to me, it's a spiritual atmosphere that's more than just fishing. And knowing the history, I'm a, I would like to say that if there was reincarnation, and I've had these moments that I swear I was a mountain man in the past, you know, mm. I'll get the area. I've been here. Oh, right. And yeah. this area has such a rich history of stuff like that, that it just sends my mind into places that I like to go. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's probably, you know, for those that have been to Yellowstone or that area, it's just this really, um, I don't know what, yeah, it's all the volcanic in the history, right? You have all that geology going on, but then you have all the, the history of the people, you know, that have lived there over yeah. time, you know, and I'm sure you're getting some of that, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I've worked heavily in the tourism boards in the area. I've got made connections with a lot of the local um, indigenous tribe, different tribes, and the people will come around and they've educated me on their ancestry in the area. And, you know, I can go sit up on the fire hole. I've got a couple spots that I'll just sit down and watch the fish roll out in the river and be happy. I don't even have to fish. I use fishing as an excuse to get there. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's what we're all kind of, well, I think you, you kind of have that whole thing, right? You start fishing and you want to catch more fish and bigger fish, but eventually, yeah, it's not even about the fish. Well. It's everything else, the travel and the, the places. The self-fulfillment. Yeah, nice. Well, you mentioned Henry's Lake and there's all these lakes that are in that area. I want to just touch on that a little bit because we're going to be fishing some of those areas. And I, my thoughts are, I think we might fish some private waters. I think we might fish Henry's. I mean, what... Maybe talk about, and you got Hebgen Lake there. You know, if somebody's coming in, let's just take it to your shop. They come in, um, you know, during the peak time. I guess it's when it's not super snowy out there. You know, what do you tell somebody? They say, hey, I want to fish Stillwater. What's the, how do you start them off? Uh, my basic question is what's their preferred style of fishing? Stillwater. You know, are they yeah. an indicator guy? Or are they a strip and retrieve? You know, are they a surface? Do they want to go catch the gulpers? And then I try to point them to where I know their best opportunity is going to be. Okay. What What if they're kind of kind of new to Stillwater? They've done a lot of stream fishing, but they don't know the area at all, haven't done a lot of Stillwater. Again, it depends on the year and the time. You know, Henry's Lake is a traditional trophy trout lake. It can humiliate the best of us. Yep. You've been skunked at Henry's? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know anybody that's fished up here that hasn't at different times. Yeah. Is Henry's a lot different than Hebgen as far as the, how difficult it can be? Yes. Yeah, I think Hebgen's a lot more forgiving. Um, it's a little more expansive lake with a little more, you know, with the canyons and the different inlets and everything. So, you know, it's just getting to understand where the fish are at in there. But there are more fish, I think. It's just, you're not going to catch big fish like Henry's. Okay. But I also have been told by Montana Fish and Game that, you know, they've shocked that lake and came up with multiple brown trout that would have set the Montana state record. And this is in Hebgen? Yeah. Oh, right. Hebgen is a little bit bigger, right? It's kind of a different looking lake. Yeah, it's it's a man-made reservoir and lake it's got some deep you know it's way deeper you know henry's lake's a shallow lake 20 foot max 22 foot max a little warmer water a lot more aquatic bug life and options i think you know the henry's lake fish typically only have a lifespan of four to five years and fish and game and anybody i talk to that seems to know anything it's basically the henry's lake fish eat themselves to death oh right a yellowstone cutthroat and yellowstone lake which we didn't even talk about earlier has a general lifespan of around 14 years oh wow holy cow and yellowstone's just to the um a ways to the east right from there yeah we can be out on yellowstone lake in about an hour and a half that's in stuff apart Gotcha. Yeah. So you got, because you're right there on the, yeah, I mean, you got the three, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, right? You're kind of right in the middle. Yeah. Right in the middle of that. What, what's the town you're in? We're in Island Park. We're on the north end of Island Park proper, <laughs> you know, the longest main street in America. That's right. This is Island Park. We've talked about this because we have done a few episodes. This is the one where it's the, the city is literally like. 500 feet on each side of the highway. <laughs> and and what, how long is it? 10, five miles or something like that? 38 miles. Yeah, you got this interesting. Love the story. So we'll put links to those episodes we've had on that where the, I, we've talked about the story there. But 
so yeah, you're, you're easily accessible to these lakes. What are the other ones that would be out there that are big ones that people would maybe know, know of? Well, Island Park Reservoir on the Idaho side. And then, you know, we mentioned Hebkin, but you've got Quake Lake, which offers opportunities way different than any of the other lakes that we have. And then you've got lots of smaller lakes like Wade, Cliff, Hidden. Oh, I didn't mention Elk Lake earlier. All of them right there within not much more than a half an hour to get there. Oh, numerous alpine lakes, you know, they're so small we try to not hot spot them. Yeah, sure. When you're, um, you know, looking at uh, Henry's Lake, when you're thinking about fishing that, what's, you know, how are you getting ready for that? What's the uh, the timing on that? Are you getting out there early? Is it always busy out there? Yes, now, we've gone through some regulation changes in the last few years. Henry's Lake used to close on January 1 and then reopen on the Saturday before Memorial Day. So we I get to sit at my house and look at the lake and wish I was fishing. Now, two years ago, we've opened it up to year-round fishing, but on February 15th through that Saturday of Memorial again, um, it's just catch and release. But oh, nice. it's started to present a tremendous ice off opportunity for the fly fishermen right so this is the first time it's been when is ice off typically into april first of may we had our latest ice off and the well since i've been up here this past year they didn't come off till the middle of may yeah what does that look like describe ice off if you're out there what, how would you set up for that or what? what is that exactly as far as fishing yeah yeah well it's either or. I'm a strip and retrieve guy, but, you know, chronomids, small leeches, egg patterns, not, you know, it's when the rainbows and cutthroats want to spawn and they go back to their traditional areas in the mouths of the inlets or in the case of Henry's Lake where they were planted. But indicator fishing's great at that time of year also. Okay, gotcha. So basically what's going on is you got this lake which completely freezes up. You can could you like drive a car across it sort of thing? Uh, in the winter, yeah. You we'll see snowmobiles and you'll see guys taking razors out pulling. I've seen a few ice fishermen that have their camp trailers set up with the holes in the bottoms of them. Oh yeah. And, and on skis and dragging them out and staying a couple of days out on the ice, but you know, it's a whole different world in the winter. We've actually started with the extension of the season, started toying with tying jigs. You know, you can still ice fish and fly fish and artificial lures and just winters can get long. So we got to find things to do. Yeah, exactly. And so when it comes on and then the ice eventually comes off, like you're saying, is that an opportunity when you could be out there? What is that like? What's that transition looking it's like? It's all shore fish. It's all shore fishing access is kind of like i said it's it's concentrated so you can go out there and be shoulder to shoulder some days at, at the around the the boat ramps and the docks but you can catch some great fish yeah because people are literally out there able to keep well i guess it's catch and release until after memorial yeah. day yeah so people are going out there but that's what had the ice is coming off so people and the fish are coming in to areas where they could start spawning essentially because this is their spawning time right yeah, and plus with the ice, um, you know, you get a lot of food that freezes into the ice. And I learned growing up in my early stages, we used to go fish Schofield Reservoir in Central Utah. You know, and we'd just go throw our leeches and bugs out on the edge of the ice and then pull it off and just let it sink. And you just watch for the little subtle movement of your line and it was a lot of fun. And and the same theories and practices can be used here. Yeah, and Schofield is, I'm just looking at it here. So it's, like I said, isn't there a, is there a Schofield also in uh, southern Idaho? No. Maybe that's the one, I, I guess this is the one I was thinking about, the Schofield there. That's a pretty decent size reservoir. Yes. What, and it holds some really good fish. And it's one of the, I saw the biggest tiger trout that I've ever seen come out of there. Oh, wow, tiger trout. Well, and how big? Uh, I'm going to say this one was probably around 12 pounds. And the tiger, I always forget these. What's the mix? That's your, uh, brown and brook. I don't think Utah was the first, uh, division, you know, part of division, their wildlife department that came 
with the tiger trout and they actually planted them in some of the small reservoirs that I talked about earlier and fall fishing we'd just go elk hunting and bring our fly rods and then walk around the edges of the reservoir and target those tigers and you know they're such an aggressive fish it's a blast oh wow yeah you were right it's um it's a mix between a um female brown trout and a male brook trout so wow yeah tiger trout so they look what and what do they look like they look kind of like they both that's just like a mix yeah they don't have the spots but they've got the wavy little marks on their body so which is where they come up with the tiger name on them yeah that's right yeah they don't have the quite the necessarily the brook trout that really bright well no they can they can't that's the thing i guess depending on on the fish they can't have those colorations they're really bright yeah they do get the color the orange coloration yeah the orange in the fall um there it's a beautiful fish they generally don't have the marking like on the front of the fins like the brook trout oh yeah god yeah i'm looking at photos now of uh i'll put a link to this in the show notes it's a a fly lord's um tiger trout post and it's really cool they got a bunch of great photos of tiger trout i'm waiting for idaho to find a place for them. yeah there's none in are there none in idaho right now i think there are in some of the lakes further south but nothing anywhere close and around us right now gotcha so um going back to henry so you have you know this ice off after that what's the next step when are you when are people really getting fired up to get out there and, and on the water in their boats and stuff memorial weekend our arch season really kicks off Memorial Weekend. Once the ice goes off, you know, the fish are still very active. They're feeding. You know, we have some long winters up here. What, um, as far as that you're going to see a mix of anglers out there, kind of uh, guy, gear fishing, fly fishing, both? Is that a good mix? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not afraid to say I support the spin fishermen and the hardware guys. And we talked a little bit earlier about how I grew up fishing with my dad and next to him but before he would let me do that i was sitting on the shore with my grandparents bait fishing and i would give anything to go back and have some of those moments back i you know it's the early days i don't know anybody who doesn't start fishing that way exactly now i think that um i feel like we're we're going back to that you know i feel like from just from my experience you know you had fly fishing has changed a lot you know and it's evolving and I think that that's people are more feeling like that. It's not really about the fly, like we said at the start. It's about the, just being out there. It doesn't really matter what you're doing, right? And you know, I've got a the person who wrote the book on Henry's Lake is a mentor and advocate of mm. my shop. His name's Bill Sheese, and you know, Bill's eighty now, and he talks about his transition. You know how he went from a tackle guy spin guy to a fly guy to a fly snob (laughs) and how many opportunities that he missed being able to fish with his father because all he wanted to do was fly fish and now he's developed what he calls a snap crackle pop shoulder and he's turning to other back to other methods cycle of the fisherman you know you you may be able to take the style of the fishing away, but you're still not going to stop the fishermen. No, that's well put. Yeah, that's really what it comes. It's not, it's not, again, it's not fly fishermen. It's really just fishermen. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I've seen the, it's hard, you know, part of that is hard when you see some of your, you know, your your dad and other people as they get older. You know, my dad had the same thing. He slowly got out of it. And then one day I was asking him about fishing and he's like, um, you know, I don't fish anymore. He was almost kind of a little bit angry about it, you know, kind of because it was, I didn't realize it though, right? It had just happened that, I guess it seems like it happens fast, but I think it happens slowly, right? Have you seen that? Oh, well, my dad's, my dad's 84. Yeah, same, same, right. I still have him, you know, have him. He doesn't go out on his own anymore. About the only times I get him out is when I can get him up out of Utah and up here and get him on the boat. And, you know, he's not, we're not waiting. We're not going up and down the streams because he can't. But it's never going to take that smile off his face when he gets out on that water and gets a fish on. Right. God, that's it. Yeah, you didn't. That's exactly what I was doing. Just getting him out on the boat. That was the time. 
we do ours is a little bit there. I probably should have done more of the still water. In fact, I probably still can. That might be the thing to do here is because we did a lot of boat trips and river trips and Deschutes and, and there was whitewater involved. So I kind of got to a certain point where it wasn't, uh, you know, I was a little bit worried, you know, about getting them wet and things like that. But no, I think still water is, is a good thing for, yeah, like you said, no matter what age you are, you can get out there on a lake and fish with the spin rod or whatever, you know, you need to do. Right. And, you know, I've got a son who's handicapped now. He's got ALS, you know, and last time I had him out was on the, you know, we loaded him in the boat and trolled flies for him. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. I wanted to uh, touch on that. And, you know, I, one thing I was, I mean, we've had a number of episodes with different groups around the country. Um, I'm trying to think the last one we had, I think it was um, Heroes Mending on the Fly up in Canada. And, uh, but there's a bunch of these groups out there that are doing stuff around fly fishing, helping people that are coming back from the war and PTSD. And talk about that a little bit, just so we understand for those that don't know, you know, what has fly fishing and just fishing in general been for, you know, like for your son? So Patrick, he pretty much grew up in the city, you know, in the South Jordan central along the Wasatch front. He's an adrenaline junkie, skateboarder, motorcycle goal guy and he went into the army we moved him up here as a high school senior we took him from a high school class of 2000 to 35 wow <laughs> as a senior jeez did he like that was that a bad not a good thing for him at first no but as it all went on he goes it's the greatest thing we ever did for him and um he came back out of the army with a disability from traumatic brain injury. He started fishing and has made it his life's ambition. He goes, it, it puts him sort of like, you know, we've talked about in that place of being happy and relaxed. And um, now he's got a dream. All he wants to do is help others. It's not about him. He wants his meaning of life is to help others so we will coming up this summer spring be having an outing for veterans with him hosting here oh wow we haven't got the specifics or anything worked out on that but you know that's his wish and guess who gets his wish wow that's got to be pretty pretty powerful for you i mean what a an event is that something that you know, how do you even plan that? Is, is do you have groups? Is this a are there groups that can help you know organize this? I've worked with the uh, wounded warriors, warriors of field, healing waters, just all of them, and the military network is unbelievable. How these guys band together, help each other. So we will organized through there may do do our own little independent thing sure but the idea is to get everybody out on the water like we said you know earlier get on the water and just think about something else other than hopefully they can learn what he learned yeah so when he's on the water he's loving is it fly fishing is that what he's yes into? Yeah. oh he's all fly fishing he may be a little bit on that snobby side that we talked about <laughs> the only way i mean growing up he didn't get the experiences that I did, he is a stepson. Oh, right. So yeah. he came into my life and the fishing later on, and he grabbed that fly rod and got out there, and he found his place. He became a great guide for me. You know, I he's such a person person. He wasn't my most knowledgeable guide. But guess who was my best reviewed guide? Oh, really? Yeah. He just knew how to talk to people and what a good read of everybody. And he's got a, just a general joy for life. You see it from those guys that are adrenaline junkies. You know, they just want to have fun. Yeah. And it sounds like he has that skill, that guide skill that you can't really teach necessarily, right? Just being the, the people person, knowing... You know, that whole thing. It sounds like he loves that. Oh, yeah. You know, I we we talked about Lonnie Allen and Three Rivers Ranch earlier, and I sent him down there to their guide school, and the staff down there, every time I go down there, of course, Patrick. <laughs> they, they haven't forgot him. 
yeah yeah he, he makes people laugh and and you're just a good kid yeah i can't I, it'll be fun i hopefully when i get out there and we meet up and i can get a chance to meet him that'd be that'd be awesome and everybody who's down there i think we're gonna have a small little group so and also maybe there's a chance we can help uh you know with the event or you know we can talk more about that but um no i think this is good so i think when we come down there you know we're going to be probably keeping it open as far as which lakes you know we fish right now yes it's still uh still to be determined but you know the the primary goal is is to make sure that we stay within the guiding rules and regulations and the private lakes are probably our best opportunity to get time one-on-one that's right private lakes so that's exactly what we're going to do so we're going to find some of those private lakes do our school session there have you and phil really dig into that and then once we get that in then we'll take you and set you out on henrik's lake or island reservoir and let them fish and practice all these techniques that we've hopefully instilled in them yep what does that look like when you kind of look at steel water you know if you had to break out a list of things that you know are you know, we're getting ready to fish Hebgen or Henry's, you know, as far as gear, all that stuff. What are you telling somebody as they're heading out? Is there a starting point? Well, gear-wise, you know, Hebgen I'll fish with a five-weight rod, prefer six. Henry's like, I won't fish with less than a six-weight rod. And then you obviously a floating line and set up for indicator fishing. And then I've, you know, when you start getting into your subsurface into your strip and retrieve and the variation of all the lines you know and i change those by where i find the fish and what depth i want to get to so i'm carrying five reels with me you know yes i'm a geek yes probably a little overboard yes we can get you on probably one line but you got to be a little bit more patient and count down a little bit longer the other thing with still water fishing is, you know, the finesse isn't necessarily required quite like fishing a stream in your dry fly, but distance, it, you know, the, the better you can get your casting distances down, the greater your odds go up of catching a fish on every cast. It does. So, and what is that? Is that just a factor of the you're in a boat and the further away you're not spooking the fish or why the further? I think you just cover more water. Just more water. Okay. More distance. I think, I think Bill says every 10 or 15 feet that you can cast increases your odds by somewhere from 15 to 20% per cast. He's gone into this. He's got his, I should know this by heart. (laughs) But, yeah. you know, he'll talk to you and, you know, so it is a little bit different game. Yeah. Would it be a, a long cast for you or anybody out there? You know, like what would be, what are you shooting for on some of these? Well, right, you're standard fisherman. You're really not going to see someone throwing a full line. You get these old guys out here and they brag about throwing a full line. But, you know, if you can hit that 50, 60 foot range. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, 50, 60 feet compared to, say, 30, which, you know, you're going twice as far. Is about all you're doing on a standard river and stream. And, you know, but if you're fishing surface, still water, like over on Hebkin and stuff, you know, you don't quite need that distance. You're going to be more concerned about presentation and not spooking that fish off. Oh, so Hebkin's a little more on presentation or that's a bigger part of it? Yeah. If you want the gulpers and the top water action. Right, right. So on Henry's, you're thinking you make that 50, 60 foot long cast. And, you know, are you fine? How to talk about that? How are you first finding the fish? You know, if you don't know kind of where they are in the lake. Inlets and the channels and shelves. As the year goes on, they'll transition out and into the deeper water. Temperatures go up, fish go down. Gotcha. So you're, once they transfer transition out sometime, when is that like in July sometime or there's a transition? Yeah. Mid July they'll start and fishing, you know, a lot of people don't want to follow them. So yes, the pressure will drop, but fish are still there. Right. So you have to just what, just get a heavier sinking line and just now go deeper. Yep. Or a longer leader on your indicator. 
What's your str- kind of you talked about, you know, the cast and retrieve. What would that look like if you're out there? I guess there's a big difference between fishing when they're deeper versus in the shallower near the inlets. Correct. And that's where you adjust your line by the sink rate, you know, from a slow intermediate hover line, half inch per second sink line, all the way to a seven inch per second sink if you're fishing in 15 feet of water. Okay. So the deeper 15 feet of water, seven inches per second, you might cast out there and let it sink for what, 10, 15, 20 seconds longer? Yeah, just a countdown. So if it's a, to make the math easy, let's just say six inches per second and you want to get it 14 feet, 28 seconds. Yeah, that's it. Phil, you've probably heard this. I'm not even sure, you know, where this came from originally, but Phil talks about the DRP, the depth retrieve pattern. Yes. Is that the same sort of the way you look at it? Do you feel that's? Oh, yeah. Well, and Phil, people think Phil is indicator guy, but he's only. Yeah, he's not. No. So Phil does everything. Yeah, I mean, he fishes everything, streams, right? He fills all over the place. Oh, yeah. One of the best things that have happened to me is um, meeting up with Phil and getting these opportunities to go and learn. And anybody can learn. Still keep learning. It doesn't matter how long you fish. How did you originally meet Phil? Do you remember that? How did the, that happen? Yeah, I did an episode with the new fly fisher. Oh, there you go. Yeah, was that Colin or who was on the trip? Mark. Oh, it was Mark. Mark Melnick, right? Yeah. And that was when Phil caught his 12-pound hybrid. Oh, what did he catch out there? This is on, where was this at? A 12-pound hybrid on Henry's Lake. Oh, really? Hybrid. So this was a hybrid rainbow cut? Yes. He went completely gaga on film. Did he? What did he do? He just knew what he had and to get it in the boat and, you know, to see the excite, the legitimate excitement of someone who's fished that much to get a fish like that was, yeah, it doesn't go away. Is that out there? Is that on, that's on the new Fly Fisher channel? Yeah. Yeah. I want to try to track that down. I would love to watch that. Oh, it's Drift Lodge, Henry's Lake. Okay. It would be, if we want to find it, with Drift Lodge, Henry's Lake, uh, new Fly Fisher. Yeah, and I also did another episode with them. Um, it'll be Drift Lodge DIY. That was with Mark, but we did do a short segment on Henry's Lake fishing with Al Merrick. I don't know if you recognize that. Oh, yeah, I do know that name. <laughs> Hall of Fame surfer. Oh. Who happens to be one of my neighbors. And, you know, he, Mark got to go into depth with him on how he got to fly fishing and what it has meant to him and it's yeah oh wow so that was on so mark yeah mark's been up there a few times mark melnick and he's we'll put a link like i said i think i found it the henry's lake that one with the big fish and then and what was the owl his connection you have a, a neighbor who Al Merrick. yeah um he's my neighbor hmm. we actually have two hall of fame surfers that live here on the lake wow and it's just but he talks about what fishing has meant for him and how he's transitioned from his surfer time to fishing and hunting and became a resident of this area. Yeah. God. So, so you meet Phil with a new fly fisher and, um, and you guys, I guess sounds like you hit it off and you've done some stuff. Yeah. Phil comes down once a year to do a clinic for a, a group of individuals and help them with some fundraising that they do. And, but, after that show, you know, he'll come and hang out with me for a day or two before and after just to go out and actually enjoy fishing. Oh, right. Yeah. So you do the event and then you guys hang out and just, just fish. Yeah. And you know how the connections work and everything like that. It's, you know, I, you, you mentioned Colin. Mm-hmm. I recently had Colin take me up to his lodge in Labrador. Oh, wow. And fish for big brooks on the lake that his lodge is located on and yeah it's just you learn and expand yeah labrador would be a good place to get up to that's definitely on the bucket list there it's on my bucket list to go back yeah now. <laughs> what was that what was that like up there what's the you know i mean there's so much cool stuff what do you really what's the that you do you remember most about that trip the sheer beauty of the area again it's different it's magical it's a lot like being around here and, but it's a different, you know, we were fishing for big brooks. We never, we had bad weather, so we never really got off of the lake because it's all, you know, float plane access 
pretty much to everything. But I also got my first real taste to catching northern pike too. Oh, so you guys got some pike fishing? Yes. God, was that pretty pretty awesome? Yes. Now I'm looking for waters around here uh, for me to go on and get back into catching a few. Um, again, it's, we talked about the aggressiveness of the tiger trout. The aggressiveness of the pike is even more off the charts and a lot of people don't like to catch them but oh really why is that i don't know it's a different type of fishing and everything has it's you know when you can put a 45 inch pike in your hands yeah that would be cool i think just for me like the diversity of just a new species all you know doesn't matter what it is i think that's kind of an awesome thing you know to be you know be doing but we're going to take it out of here in a bit, but, um, you know, going back, circling back, if somebody is, you know, like we're heading up there, we're going to be planning this trip. If somebody else was thinking about, you know, heading up that way, you got all these lakes, what's your planning tips or what, where does somebody start on? You know, I think you mentioned before, like, what do you want to do? But there's so much water, you know, what do you tell somebody if they're like, oh, I don't know where to start? I recommend giving a no less than four days of fishing time. Number one, because, you know, our weather patterns can be so volatile up here. The more days, that way you're kind of guaranteed to get a couple good days along with a couple of the other days. Yeah, the other days. And what's going on right now? Because I know it's getting colder. It's November. It's almost, we're getting close to um, like Thanksgiving. What's the weather like there right now? What's going on at Henry's? Well, I woke up this morning. It was 22 degrees at my house. Um, Henry's Lake up until this morning was still open. There was a little bit of open water out in the middle of the lake this morning, but the edges had froze again. So I don't expect to see much open water fishing happen after Saturday, this coming Saturday. Yep. So this is it. So we're wrapping up the season. Yeah. And then this episode will likely go out maybe in January. So by January, it's going to be pretty snowy there. Yes. We average 144 inches of snow here a year. 144 inches. There you go. <laughs> and you guys, I mean, I'm guessing you've seen some changes in snow levels, climate change, stuff like that, or do you guys always get lots of snow? No, being around the caldera with the typically warmer waters and the area, it's always been a lot of, you know, an area that gets a lot of snow and stays pretty consistent or, you know, haven't experienced drought in the whale as a lot of other areas have. However, we are coming out of one. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because it was, you did have, a, you've had a couple of good, well, last year was a big snow year, right? Yes. And it was 135, 140% of average type year, but it was a, such a cold winter that none of it left. We had no thaw and meltdown and come May 1, I still had six foot windrows out in my Jeez. driveway. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's basically what's going to be happening here from here on out until sometime, you know, next spring. So, but you have that window, right? In May. Don't let people fool you. Your fly fishing opportunities are still here because as we talked about with the warmer water and your rivers and you get a great little midge hatch, midday midge hatch during the winter. On some of the streams. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So we're talking still water, but yeah, you still, you've got all the water. We were talking still water, but this is yeah. a year round. You can still get some fly fishing in year round if you were. Gotcha. Like the fire hole, right? No, the park is closed. Oh, park is closed. Okay. So, this is, so the Madison outside the park, the Henry's Fort, with an exception of through the ranch, for the guys that are willing to make the extra effort and break trail and get down to the river, it's still here. There you go. And it's not like you're necessarily 30, 40 below all winter long sort of thing. There's, you can get out there. It's not. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, sort of the local secret, you know, dirty little secret. You can still fly fish in winter. Gotcha. So it's so like you said, the opening, um, well, you have year round fishing really with the lakes. You, you talk about that February through, but really starts getting busy May. May through the middle of July and then September, October. September and October on the still water are my favorite. I was going to say, what is, so that is September, October. You love that time because how is that different than say July? Uh, the fish become active again. You know, they, they've grown. Oh, right. They're bigger. 
Yeah, you've got bigger fish, and they sense that winter's come, the long winter's coming, and they get very active in their feeding patterns, and it just creates some great opportunities, and usually less pressure. Right, and the weather can still be great. I mean, we were over there early October. Um, we were in just in down in Driggs, and I mean, it was it could have been July. It seemed like you know it was that good. The weather was that great. Oh yeah, you know when you're looking at temperatures near 60 like we had this year uh we didn't have extremely hot warm days but we had good consistent decent weather yeah bloom you know also that a lot of things are dependent on henry's lake in the fall if we do have a warm summer with a lower water year you get a very prolific algae blind oh you do when does that happen your water temperatures go up that algae bloom will start coming on in August. Oh, so and what happens when that happens, like as far as the fishing? Water looks ugly, but typically the fishing's still good. And what's going on with that? Describe that a little bit. We haven't really talked much about that. I'm not sure just on the, you know, the limnology, I guess, or the lake. What is, what's happening there? Um, between the plant growth and the, the heat and the water temperature, you just get a really thick algae bloom. Yeah, it's just algae literally just growing on the, just in the lake, the giant, there's lots of yeah. algae. And is this partly dependent on the, some of inputs like say, um, like agriculture, like more that sort of thing that's uh, helping that, or is this just a net? Well, the good thing is like for Henry's Lake, we don't have the agriculture. Oh, because you're above, you're at the top. Yeah, it's good to be at the top of the mountain, kind of is how I always say it, especially when like the floods came last year. Oh yeah. God. We got the rain, but we didn't get the floods because yeah, we're at the top of the mountain. But yeah, when the warmer water years, this year, because as we were talking about the temperatures and the milder temperatures and the good water year with a slow runoff, water quality stayed really good. Yeah. Water quality. This is awesome. So, I mean, and again, we're going back to, you know, Henry's Lake, um, Hebby, and there's a bunch of opportunities. You know, we talked about having four days at least. It, it sounds like, you know, July, maybe August is one of those times where it gets a little bit more challenging. But then once that algal bloom goes away, sometime in September when temperatures again change back, is that how it looks? Yeah, into September for Henry's, a little bit earlier for Hebkin. Okay. And I think we're planning, I don't think we have the exact dates, but I think we're either planning early July, somewhere in that, or maybe even a, we could think about a later trip, but it feels like July, you know, getting out there um, seems like a decent time, that early July time. It is. You start getting your damsel hatches and stuff like that, you know, the, the different patterns that are coming on. And yeah, it's the fish have settled in, moved out, but they're still at that but I consider their active stage still building back from the long winter. Just the opposite of the fall, how we talked about in the fall, they're getting ready for the long winter. You know, once middle of May, June, into July, you know, they're recovering from that winter. Right. And these, and the species in there in uh, Henry, well, Hebgen, you said has browns, but in Henry's, it's more. Henry's has browns and rainbows. Okay. Henry's Lake is a hybrid. Yellowstone cutthroat rainbow hybrid. Oh, it is. So that, that those are all hybrid. Most, yeah. Mostly. Yeah. And then you have brook trout. And th there are still a few others swimming around, you know, so you got your purebred cutthroat, which Henry's Lake is the really the only true uh, brood lake for the Yellowstone cutthroat right now with the purest uh, genetics. So, you know, they take the, for the hybrids, they take the eggs from the female cutthroat and mix with the rainbow. Yeah. Cutbow. Yeah. Call them hybrids, but generally Idaho fishing game has used the hay spar rainbow. One of our past fisheries, regional fisheries manager and good friend, you know, he called them the junkyard dogs of the rainbows. And that's what, you know, those hybrids get very aggressive and you'll get your fight from them. And they grow faster, grow faster and bigger. Oh, and that's the other thing. So those fish grow faster. That's part of the Henry's thing is that those fish are growing faster than if you just threw a rainbow or a cutty in there. Yeah. Your hybrids are going to be a third larger. Oh, a third larger. Wow. So that 20 inch, that uh, 20 inch, whatever nor uh, other fish is probably a hybrid is going to be like a 
24 inch. It could be in that 24 inch range. And you know, your cutthroat are going to get 24 to 26, way up to seven, eight pounds. Your hybrids are going to go, you know, your, your big ones are going to go 30 to 35 and up to 16 pounds. Holy cow. So there's some 16 pound fish. Have you ever seen, what's the biggest fish you've seen in Henry's? The 16s. You've seen a 16 pounder. Yeah. I've got friends that have a couple on their walls and been in a boat when one was caught. We recently just had, well, last, not this fall, but last fall had a new uh, catch and release hybrid record caught. And, um, you know, because it was never weighed, the fishing game guys estimated that it was somewhere from the 16 to upper 18 pound class. Wow. And suspected it was more towards the upper end of that. <sighs> Giant fish. And it's just a matter of, like you said, fast growing and lots of food. That lake just has tons of food. Yep. Tilts fish eat themselves to death. Wow. I want to talk a little bit, just, you know, I want to touch on the cabins because I think what we're going to be doing up there is um, meeting up. And like you said, starting on some other waters, you know, doing the school session and then letting people go out and fish some of these rivers or these lakes we're talking about. But, um, but I did want to start to take us out just quickly with our, we've got this, um, you know, we've got the Stillwater School going. So I'm going to just give a shout out to that at wetflyswing.com slash Stillwater School is where people can sign up for this and uh, get some more information on what we have going. But, um, and this is also presented by uh, Yellowstone Teton Territory. So we've been working with, um, you know, the group, which you're affiliated with a little bit, right? Maybe talk about that because part of this is, I mean, I've been doing this now, this series over quite a while here just this year and interviewing some of you know the famous people from that area and it's pretty cool so what are your thoughts first of all what was your experience with the Yellowstone Teton that group and then um, who are other people we haven't talked about that are kind of famous in that part of the world well Yellowstone Teton is our local regional tourism board we're funded through the state and the we have a two percent bed tax and they give a portion of that money back to our region to advertise and bring people up here um i have been the president for three years i just finished my term and we're here to promote the whole area so you know i don't i guess one of the things i would classify as one of my advantages is i'm not just a fly shop i know the area i like you know everyone has different interests and we can keep you busy every day of the week doing something different, but we can also have you out on the water every day too. Yeah, that's it because there's a ton of things. That's what I've been learning about the area we've had. Um, it's been pretty interesting because we even did like a hot springs that, you know, there's all sorts of cool stuff, but there's lots to do out there. What are the other things other than fly fishing? You know, there's lots of winter activity, right? Like you we were saying. Oh, snowmobiling. This is the snowmobile capital of the world. Um, the number one snowmobile destination is two top mountain where you see all the what they call the ghost pines the frosted pine trees and and i'm sitting looking at the top of two top mountain right now out of my shop window wow so you have wintertime snowmobiling summertime atv motorcycle um just lots of sightseeing birding rvers we have a lot of rv opportunity up here for those people oh yeah so somebody could pull up an RV and there's plenty of opportunities there to put up the camper for a week. Yeah. Whether it be in a regular RV park, forest service campground, or some of the open camping areas. Right. And of course you got Yellowstone. I mean, that's the thing that's where you are. You've got all this, you know, right? hundred. I'm not sure if it's the... Well, I'm 17 miles to the west gate of Yellowstone. So 20 minutes you're in Yellowstone. Yeah. So you got Yellowstone and then just, uh, and then of course, the, obviously the fishing and the hunting too, right? Hunting's got to be huge out there. Oh yeah. Hunting, hunting in the fall is big. We're still hunting out muzzleloader elk up here. Um, oh, right. Then the Tetons are just an hour to the south of us. I can see those from my shop too. And um, all of those waters, the Teton, Fall River, South Fort. God, it's going cool. And I will just give one more. So at uh, wetflyswing.com slash Teton is a link. It'll go over to that website and you can see of all this stuff we're talking about. There's a ton of companies, you know, fly shops, everything, lodges, um, 
you name it. And I'm sure I haven't even looked, but I'm sure you're probably on your lodge is probably on that, uh, on that spot yes. somewhere there. Yeah. Yeah. And as we mentioned, you know, most of our shows that we did with Phil and the new fly fisher have been sponsored by Yellowstone Teton. Oh yeah. There you go. And all the other lodges around here. Yep. And so at your lodge, this is, I think we're going to be doing this too, right? So we have a small group of people come in there. Talk about that at your lodge. So we're, we're going to have these so I, lakes. Yeah. I have 15 cabins here. They'll sleep anywhere from two to 12 people, depending on which one you're in. We're very centrally located. Five minutes, you're over on Henry's Lake. 20 minutes, you're on Hepkin. Half an hour, you're on Quake. Go south, 20 minutes, you're on Island Park Reservoir. Um, as far as the Stillwater stuff goes, you know, it's really the same distances for Henry's Fort, Madison, and then all all the waters into Yellowstone Park. And Yellowstone too. And and so when we're at the, the cabins, if we're staying in, let's just say we've got a cabin there, some, you know, describe that a little bit. What's that look like? Are we going to be, I'm not sure, do you have a lodge? I can't remember what the plan is on the food. Maybe that's something we still need to figure out. We have kitchenettes in all of them. Okay. So, but I do have the main lodge. And as far as uh, general plans for the show, we will take the main lodge and we will bring food in for the group. That's right. So we're going to do everything out of there. So it's basically all-inclusive. We'll be able to just, that'll be our place. We're going to do the school, do our sessions. And, and some of the stuff I'm doing with Phil now, we'll be adding to that, some of these webinars and things. But you know, ultimately, I think we want people. All your, off-water, all your yeah. off-water sessions will be done here at the Fly Shop or in the main lodge. And then we'll take you out and get the rod in hand and hopefully uh, some fish on. Yeah. And you'll have all the flies and anything we need there at the shop. Yeah. And that's one thing, you know, we haven't touched on is I have become the water shop of the area. And I, I know I've got a greater selection of still water um, flies and supplies than anyone else. You know, I mentioned Bill Sheese yeah. and his and we carry all of Phil and Brian Chan's patterns that apply to the area. Uh, there's other guys such as Denny Rickard. Oh yeah, Denny, right. I, I have lots, you know, some of his st stuff. And it's kind of cool. These fly manufacturing companies are starting to catch on and I'm seeing more new Stillwater stuff coming from them. But, you know, we've also got Renee Harrop. Oh yeah. It's from the area. I can tell you, well, I don't know. It's a little cold today. And with the ice, I won't be able to drive up to Henry's Lake and see him. But I, yesterday he was there. Oh, Renee, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. So this area is just deeply Loaded. entrenched with, yeah. That's the picture we've been getting. I think we'll we'll put a link all the traveled episodes we've had. But yeah, it's just a, it's, it's a great list of people. You know, from a lot of people we haven't mentioned here either, you know, Mike, um, you know, up at the lodge, you name it, right? There's a bunch of people. but So we'll have links to, you know, you yeah. Got, you know, in the old history, the Bud Lilies, the Mike Watsons, the, all of that, they're all deeply. Yeah, it's a cool history. It's a cool history. And then, and then you got some of the newer folks coming in. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've been here for. 12 full years and I'm still the new guy on the block. You're still new, right? Yeah. So Bill Sheese, I think, I think we'll, Bill Sheese, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Sheese. Yeah, Sheese. We'll, we'll leave that till maybe the next episode. I'm hopefully going to get Bill on and we'll talk to him more on that. But I think, yeah, I think, um, Mike, this has been great. I think we'll leave it here and um, I'm excited for this trip. I think that, um, you know, getting on, on the wire with you and Phil and everybody who's part of this is going to be exciting and you know, the goal is to bring away some lifelong, you know, tools and lessons, right, that you can use in your home water. So uh, we'll send everybody out to uh, driftlodge.com if they have questions. And um, yeah, appreciate all your time today. I appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you here in person. That's a wrap on Travel, part of the Wet Fly Swing podcast and Swing Outdoors. This podcast was supported by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory. You can support this podcast in Eastern Idaho by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now. And you can let any of the brands know that you found them through this podcast and click in there and check out all the great brands. We've had a number of them on this podcast and, uh, and we would love you to find out all the good stuff they have going. You can also check in with me anytime, Dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any questions or feedback or have an idea of where we should be traveling to next. 
And one big reminder before we get out of here, the Stillwater School is going right now. If you go to wetflyswing.com slash stillwaterschool, you can find out if we have any slots available for the big trip out to this part of eastern Idaho. Phil Roy is going to be our guru. He's going to be breaking out the Stillwater magic. And if you wanted to up your game this year, this is your best chance right now. You can check in there or send me an email, like I said, Dave at wetflyswing.com. And as we roll out of here, I just want to thank you for taking the time today to check out the Traveled Podcast. And I appreciate you for your support and all the listens here. And I hope you have a chance to experience that road less traveled.